This episode of the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast is brought to you by Hamilton, a value-add investment and development firm in Nashville, Tennessee, focused on bringing passive real estate investment opportunities directly to your inbox. Visit www.investwithhamilton.com invest to sign up for upcoming investment opportunities. What's going on, Metro? First in the chat, good to hear from you. Uh, hey, everybody, Tyler Cobble here, your host for the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast. And uh, interesting topic for us to really dive into today with the collapse of not one, but two big banks within a 72-hour period. These two banks uh, controlled a combined more than $400 billion in assets, and a portion of that was in commercial real estate. They're the second and third largest banks to fail in our nation's history, the first being Washington Mutual back in 2008. So today, we're going to dive into what happened, why did these banks collapse so quickly, uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about how that could impact the commercial real estate loans um, that these groups have uh, in their portfolio, right? Because obviously, this is a commercial real estate channel. We're going to be diving into how that could impact you as a commercial real estate investor. Let's dive on into the first article. Right here from the New York Times, Signature Bank, a New York financial institution with a big real estate lending business that had recently made a play to win cryptocurrency deposits, closed its doors abruptly on Sunday after regulators said that keeping the bank open could threaten the stability of the entire financial system. Now, that sounds a little bit dramatic to me, uh, but this is a pretty solid article from the New York Times covering everything that happened. So talking about um, Silicon Valley Bank, um, which regulators seized on Friday, its closing underscores the challenges that face small and mid-sized banks, which often focus on niche lines of business and have a narrower base of customers than Goliaths like J.P. Morgan Chase or Bank of America. That's one thing to note for both of these, uh, both of these banks. They were very niche in their lending practices. Uh, you know, Silicon Valley Bank was very heavily into the tech startup market. So, of course, when tech startups start to fail uh, or aren't doing so well or decide to go on a cash run, that's a significant portion of this bank's holdings. So it's going to have a massive impact on their cash position. Uh, let's see. Silicon Valley Bank, a winner to startups, imploded on Friday after some ill-timed financial decisions left it struggling to meet customer withdrawal requests. And just as slowing venture capital funding prompted fledging companies to tap their accounts more. I mean, think about it. With interest rates rising like they were, these, uh, these tech startups were probably not able to get uh, funding uh, from debt, right? So they had to start tapping into their equity accounts. Well, that means withdrawing more cash out of the bank. Or maybe they heard that there were some issues going on at the bank and they needed to pull out some of their cash. And that causes a bank run. And so when that many people start going and pulling cash out of a bank, banks just don't have that much cash on hand because they're typically lending it out uh, or investing it elsewhere. And that's what causes a lot of problems. Let's see. Many were worried that their deposits could be at risk because like business customers of Silicon Valley, this is talking about Signature Bank now, most had more than $250,000 in their accounts. The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, FDIC, the entity that seized Silicon Valley, only insures deposits up to $250,000. So, you know, I've had people ask me before, you know, is the FDIC really necessary? When would, how would somebody steal, you know, more than $250,000 out of your account? Well, this is exactly when the FDIC, what the FDIC was created to do is to make sure that 
any funds that shareholders have within the bank um, or that, well, maybe not necessarily shareholders of the bank have in the bank, but uh, any businesses that have their funds and deposits placed with the bank, they can go back and get their money, right? Uh, but the FDIC actually seized Silicon Valley so that it could um, make an attempt at recovering those assets, right? Because a lot of those assets are actually uh, put into, you know, commercial real estate or something like that, which means that they're going to be probably calling those loans or selling those loans off somewhere else in order for them to get in a better cash position. So that's definitely one thing that you would want to be cognizant of as uh, if, if you're ever involved with a bank that fails, the chances of your loan, whether it's good or not getting called are pretty high. We saw a lot of that during the 2008 financial crisis. Many loans with borrowers who had fine cash positions, they had uh, always made timely payments, they were getting their loans called because the bank just needed the funding. And that's what caused really the, the financial collapse back in 2008 was all, especially in commercial real estate. A lot of these developers were getting loans called that were otherwise in fine standing. And that causes a lot of problems for everyone. But it's just the bank trying to make some uh, uh, make their cash position a little bit bigger. Many depositors at these banks are small businesses, including those driving the innovation economy. And their key to success is New York's uh, and their success is key to New York's robust economy, Governor Kathy Hochul of New York said in a statement. Um, but everybody started panicking, pulling out their money. Uh, they saw a torrent of deposits leave its coffers, according to a person with knowledge on the matter. Still, the bank's leaders expected to be able to weather the storm because the outflows had slowed by Sunday morning, the person said. When regulators told bank executives that they were effectively seizing the bank, which had 40 branches across the country, some of them were shocked. In shuttering the bank, New York bank regulators, acting in concert with the FDIC, also removed its executive team. I think that's one thing that's you know of utmost importance to to discuss here. Um, you know, we could talk about you know lending regulations and how that whole industry is governed. But this isn't a political channel, so I'm not going to try and get into that too much. I just want to touch on the commercial real estate side of things. But the executive teams at these banks, it ultimately falls on them and their decision making for how they decided to allocate their assets within these banks. If you think about it, they're the ones saying, yes, we should have this much in cash. Yes, we should lend out this much. Yes, we should uh, invest this much. And while they do have some regulations uh, as to what they can do with all of that funding, it got pretty lax in the last few years. And that is exactly why this is happening. I mean, it's a big surprise for everybody. It was, I was kind of floored to see this happening on Sunday because, or Friday, really, with Silicon Valley, because we're not in a bad economy, right? I mean, yes, interest rates have gone up. Yes, things have slowed down. But it's not like 2008 when we last experienced the, the, these banks collapsing. I mean, we're in a relatively decent time. One thing that I think is interesting for both of these banks, though, is that they were hefty on the crypto side, um, which, of course, crypto took a massive hit last year. And I can't imagine that that would be doing very well for them right now in terms of assets. The demise of Signature with assets under, of under $100 billion is a blow to many of the professional services firms that have come to rely on it. The bank long specialized in providing banking services to law firms, providing escrow accounts for holding client money and other services. I mean, can you imagine just being one of these businesses and all of a sudden not being able to access any of your funding? That's one of the biggest issues that people are facing right now. It's not even the companies that are trying to withdraw 100% of their cash. 
It's the companies that are trying to just make payroll this week that are struggling because they can't even access those funds. It's a pretty big deal. One of Signature's specialties was financing the purchase of taxi medallions, which authorized holders to operate cabs. It was known in New York for providing banking services to law firms and real estate companies and for catering to wealthy families in the area. Over the past decade, Signature had begun to expand its business nationally and in the West Coast in particular. Um, let's see. Ran afoul of, same, of the same issues that led to the demise of Silicon Valley Bank and that most customers had holdings above $250,000. The last number that I saw in terms of holdings at Silicon Valley Bank that were over $250,000 was like 93% of their deposits. Over 93% of customers um, have funds in these banks that are not actually insured by the FDIC. Let's see. Yeah, they're saying about the same thing here. Regulatory filings show that more than $79 billion or close to nine-tenths, 90% of Signature Bank's roughly $88 billion in deposits were uninsured at the end of last year. Let's say, let's see. Signature says more than 80% of its deposits were from law firms, accounting firms, healthcare companies, manufacturers, and real estate management companies. Asset-related client deposits stood at about $16.5 billion. Um... Interesting. That ended up being a fateful decision because the bottom fell out of crypto assets after the collapse of FTX and an ensuing criminal investigation. This story has more to do with crypto, huge error in judgment by veteran bankers, said Christopher Wallen of Wallen Global or Whalen Global Advisors, which specializes in analyzing and consulting on financial institutions. Result was the same in a deposit run. You know, when I first started looking at this, from the Silicon Valley Bank perspective, I was kind of thinking to myself, wow, that's that's kind of wild. I wonder how that's going to impact commercial real estate. And the answer, honestly, after kind of digging into it was it's not much because Silicon Valley Bank didn't have a massive amount of holdings in commercial real estate assets. It was mostly tech companies. But when Signature Bank came out and I looked at their um, their 2022 annual report, Let's see, they did multifamily lending was for the year in 2022 was $19.5 billion as of December 31st, 2022. Uh, okay, that's, wait, is that total? That's just multifamily. Okay, with $5.4 billion originated over the course of the past year. They closed the year with $33 billion in total commercial real estate loans. So, Kind of like what I was alluding to earlier, you know, if you are a developer or real estate investor that has a loan with a bank like this, it is paramount that you go out and check your lending documents yesterday. Because in an extenuating circumstance like this, a bank could call your loan, even if you are in good financial standing with them. So it's incredibly important that you be proactive about that um, and start looking up other options. Because the last thing you want is for the bank to call your loan, and then all of a sudden you're in a time crunch to try and figure out how to refinance the deal before the bank just forecloses on it. And again, it's it's because of nothing that you have done, right? Um, which is often the most frustrating part for a lot of investors when it comes to dealing with commercial real estate lenders. Uh, they can typically just call these notes because they have to, right? And that's that's kind of the situation that that we may be in. Now, that being said, it's it's not all doom and gloom. That doesn't mean that they're going to have to call every single loan um, or that they're going to call any loans. 
you know, they could sell these assets off to other banks who could then service the debt. You know, that's what they were trying to do with Silicon Valley Bank over the weekend. And it doesn't seem like any buyers have come forth, at least um, as of earlier this morning when I was doing more research, preparing for this uh, YouTube live for you all. Um, I would imagine there's going to be somebody that steps in and sees the value in, in going through this. But who knows? I guess I guess we'll see kind of what the fallout is over the next couple of weeks. You know, the the government is talking about not providing a bailout for the bank, which, look, as a, as a capitalist, I am all in support of. I don't think that private businesses should get bailouts um, from the government whenever they screw up. Um, so it's, it's good to see that we're not taking a, that approach um, uh, to this collapse, in my opinion. All right, let's go to this other article from The Real Deal. Um, this goes more into uh, Signature's commercial real estate loan growth, um, which, which is interesting. So when I was reading through this article, I actually, you could kind of see the writing on the walls, which is interesting. I don't know that it, if anybody th was thinking about that when they were writing this, but, you know, of course, look, hindsight is twenty twenty. Signature Bank's commercial real estate arm led overall loan growth in the company's third quarter, a sign that rising interest rates have yet to spook New York investors. Now, one thing I will say, I mean, despite interest rates, commercial real estate is still doing phenomenally well. I have people on TikTok and, and Instagram stories or reels try and tell me all the time that, oh, you know, commercial real estate's dead. Nobody ever wants to invest in it now. You know, the pandemic killed it. Everybody's working from home. And honestly, it's just not true. Like, commerce is never going to go away in the, the type of economy that we have. So commercial real estate is going to do just fine. As long as you're able to pivot it and deal with what is going on in the world and be flexible and agile, you're gonna be just fine. It doesn't matter what kind of real estate you're invested in. I don't care if you own retail, office, industrial, hospitality. I mean, they're all doing fine depending on where you are, right? I can't say that anything in Chicago is doing fine right now, but Nashville is pretty hot. The bank, which is a major lender on rent-regulated buildings, expanded its lending portfolio by $1.84 billion in the period, up 2.6% from the previous quarter. Commercial real estate loans contributed $2.1 billion, offset slightly by other sectors' declines. That uptick outpaced the commercial loan growth of $1.3 billion that Signature reported in the second quarter. Debt brokers had expected commercial lending to fall in the period between July and September as higher rates and still high property prices have made it trickier for banks to underwrite deals. So even that right there, I'm kind of looking at it and going, well, sounds like they may be uh, lending on risky deals that they probably shouldn't have been lending on, right? Now, you know, look, from, from an investor and developer perspective, I want my banks <laughs> lending me money even when the interest rates are high. But you have no idea how they're actually going through the process. You could just have a loan originator that just wants to make a commission and doesn't really care and is pushing something through that probably shouldn't have been pushed through because the, uh, you know, the cash flow on the property is not high enough to, to service the debt on the property. There's all sorts of things like that that really, you know, when you dive into it, yeah, there's some banking regulations, but a lot of it just comes down to a relationship, right? It's harder to make deals work because pricing hasn't adjudged fully to reflect where financing and particularly the new economic environment is, uh, said Mark Snagerman. I, I don't even know how to pronounce that, who oversees Eastern Capital Markets for Marcus and Millichap, uh, which is a huge commercial real estate uh, brokerage and uh, debt capital markets group. Um, annually, loans grew 26% in the period, bolstering the bank's bottom line. 
The firm reported earnings of $5.57 per share in the quarter, a 44% pop from the $3.88 reported a year ago. Total income jumped nearly 40% to $718 million in the same 12 months. <laughs> now, that's a good quarter, quipped CEO Joseph DiPaolo. That was probably uh, spoke a little too early. I mean, yeah, like, good quarter, but I think that guy's been fired since. The blight on Signature's earnings was declining deposits. Now, this is what kind of got crazy for me. For the second straight quarter, digital asset clients yanked funds from Signet, the bank's blockchain-backed digital payments platform. Clients drained $3 billion, that's B, billion with a B, in digital deposits from the bank in the third quarter, resulting in a net decrease of $1.3 billion, or 1%, compared with the same quarter of 2022. Now, look, when you put it in, in 1%, you know, you put it in a percentage, not that much. But, I mean, look, if you're a bank and you have 1% of your overall assets withdrawn, that's a pretty big deal. That's a significant amount of funding that you can now not do anything with. Deposit growth of $1.7 billion from other businesses offset the drop-off. So it ended up kind of working out for the bank, but still to lose $1.3 billion in a single quarter is wild. DePaolo attributed the dip in deposits to higher interest rates. Hikes this year have caused markets to tumble, crashing the value of cryptocurrencies in particular. Bitcoin has plunged 58% year over year. I did a video on should you invest in crypto or commercial real estate? Because I got that question from a few investors that I pitched on investing with us in some deals, you know, because we syndicate capital for every single deal that we do. And so every now and then I come across investors that, you know, they are all in on crypto. And I'll have to go back and look at it. I'm pretty sure that video came out before the crash. And of course, I was, you know, look, I'm biased. I'm in commercial real estate. So of course, I'm going to say you should invest in commercial real estate. Still have some piece of your portfolio in crypto. Why not? Uh, and write it to the moon, diamond hands, if you really want to. But you, it's just so risky right now. We don't know where it's going to go. And of course, crypto absolutely tanked last year. I'm really appreciative of my crypto holdings right now. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see where that goes. So anyway, gets into, you know, the crypto winner, um, failing deposits, uh, meant that the, the bank didn't have enough cash reserves to finance loans. And then it kind of becomes this, you know, I know you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Once you get into that position as a bank, because you, you can't lend out any money, um, but you're also not getting any money put into the bank. And so there's not, you're, you're like in a stalemate. Either you have to sell off some of those, some, some of those loans off your books, um, or you've got to increase your deposits. That's why lenders are always wanting you to move accounts over to them. Um, because it, it actually, that's really what is the, the lifeblood of these banks is all of your cash just sitting in their bank so they can go win it out to somebody else. Uh, the executive said Signature would concentrate on boosting deposits in the fourth quarter with initiatives that include releasing clients that don't give us deposits. Uh, I wonder if they regret that decision right there. Like, oh, you're not going to give us deposits, so uh, you're gone. We don't need you anymore as a, as a client. Um, let's see. Sorry, guys. The, my articles have been covering up the comments. Um, Jorge, you're a great asset. Thank you, Tyler. Anytime, man. I'm happy to do it. I have a lot of fun doing these. Let's see. Fahim, would you say it is better to try and fund deals with cash or seller financing during these times? I mean, look, anytime that you can leverage debt um, to free up your own cash or equity, 
uh, I would still use it, right? I mean, you can typically, especially now, you could probably negotiate some pretty solid seller financing terms. Um, we're working on a deal right now where he's going to seller finance a, a pretty decent, like 1.7 million um, out of a $9 million purchase. You know, we're already bringing equity to the table, but he's going to seller finance the remaining 1.7 million um, for like 6%. And it just, it makes so much more sense for us to pay 6% uh, to a, uh, to a lender than it does to pay 20% at, you know, interest to an equity investor, right? Whatever that ends up being, obviously it's not, I know it's not interest because it's not a loan. Um, but you guys get what I mean when I'm talking about these returns and, and what our investors are, are seeking. So yeah, I would still try and use seller financing right now. Um, but if cash is your only option, you could always pay cash and then refinance it after you acquire it. J.R. Smith is saying, I don't know if he's the elephant in the room, but Peter Thiel advising his VC to notify their companies to pull their deposits. He talks so much to the collapse and then that saying called it. I wasn't actually even going to mention that, but I that is really honestly what it seems like to me is what happened with um, – what happened with this, right? Because you think about it, Peter Thiel, he's a huge investor in Silicon Valley. He's got his hands in a ton of these startups. And it wouldn't surprise me if he had a friend on the board at this bank or somebody that was involved closely that said, hey, by the way, there's some issues. You may want to get your money out. Well, when somebody like Peter Thiel notifies every single investment that he has, like, hey, we got to pull our funds out, that's a lot of cash, and that could have caused the bank run. So um, definitely interesting to speculate. Uh, who knows if we will ever know the truth around that, um, but it's it's pretty interesting to think about. All right, let's dive into um, you know five things that you can do as a commercial real estate investor when, when times like this happen um, to make sure that you are protecting yourself as well as you can. Uh, first, diversify your portfolio. Diversification is the key to reducing risk in any investment portfolio. It doesn't matter if it's commercial real estate, crypto, whatever. Make sure that you're buying, you know, different kinds of asset classes, geographies, property types. Um, you know, so maybe you've got some value add. Maybe you've got some ground up development. Maybe you've got some land banking. You know, there's all sorts of different ways that you can diversify. But also, diversify across your lending institutions. Don't borrow money from the same bank over and over and over again. Now, you're probably not going to be able to do that because most lending institutions actually have a borrowing limit per person that they are allowed to lend to. Um, but just something to keep in mind. I mean, if it, you know, if most like local banks are you know fifteen million dollars here in Nashville, that's the most they can lend out to a single person. Um, but if you've got a bank that's willing to lend you up to fifty million, and you only have thirty million dollars in assets, but all of them are all there with that one bank. That's a risk to your entire commercial real estate portfolio. Jorge's saying, you are my incentive to learn all that I can about commercial real estate in the next three years so that I can start developing properties. I love to hear that, man. Um, that's, that's very kind of you to say. It's, it's honestly the best thing I've ever done. It's so much fun. Uh, it's, it's just cool being a part of the community uh, in the way that we are. And um, I'm very grateful for the opportunity that we have here for sure. Uh, number two, conduct your proper due diligence. Before investing in any commercial real estate deal, make sure you conduct thorough due diligence. That includes reviewing the financials, assessing the strength of the sponsor, and understanding the local market dynamics. I, I feel like that one goes without saying, but if, I've, if I'm going to give you five steps, like make sure you actually understand what you're buying. 
Make sure that you know the the property that you are buying is actually going to be able to service the amount of debt that you have on there, so that the bank doesn't have a reason to call your note, right? Because I mean, let's 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 say all things being equal, a bank is going through a collapse like this, and you've got investor A who has been servicing his debt with a 2.0 debt service coverage ratio. That means for every $1 in debt, he's making $2 in cash flow, right? So very easy for him to cover that. And then let's say that we've got investor B who for, has a 1.05 debt service coverage ratio, right? Maybe you lost a tenant because you probably have to buy it at a 1.2, 1.25. But let's just say maybe you lost a tenant. You're really only at a 1.05 now. You know, that means for every dollar in debt you have, you're only making a dollar and five cents, right? There's not a whole lot of margin on that. The bank is probably going to call the loan on investor B, even if they've been making payments, because they just see that as being the next risk. That's probably going to default. We might as well call it now. We've got to free up the, our balance sheet um, to get some more loans out there. Talked about this a little bit earlier, but evaluate your commercial real estate loans, anything that you currently have. Review them, Understand how recent bank failures could impact your ability to refinance or obtain new loans. Consider alternative lenders and prepare a contingency plan in case your loan is impacted. We're constantly talking to lenders in case anything wild comes up. We'll be able to pivot hopefully relatively quickly because I have a relationship built with these lenders already. You never know what's going to happen. I mean, go through, read those documents, just make sure you know exactly where you are. I mean, the interesting thing right now we have no idea what the true ripple effect is going to be of these two banks collapsing, right? I mean, yes, is it relatively isolated? Of course. But that doesn't mean that the federal government's not going to come out with some new regulation now. That doesn't mean that every bank's going to look at that and look at their balance sheet and go, oh, we need to stop lending on commercial real estate now or certain assets. It may not even be just commercial real estate. But those are all things to keep in mind as to how this could actually impact your investments, Aim for non-recourse financing. Um, I, this is a given. I aim for non-recourse on every deal that we do, but it almost never happens because the majority of my deals are either ground-up development or heavy value add. Uh, they don't have existing cash flow in place, so most commercial lenders are not going to do that. But no, non-recourse financing can protect you in the event of a loan default. Right? With non-recourse financing, the lender can only seize the property and cannot go after your personal assets. When you sign a recourse loan, um, which I've got plenty out there right now, they can come after literally everything that you have in order to pay that back, right? So again, in a situation like this, let's assume, you know, that investor B was actually going underwater, right? Well, not only are they going to seize his property, they're going to take the property back that was used as collateral for the loan, they're going to go after him personally to pay the difference, right? which is the absolute last thing you ever want to happen to you as a commercial real estate investor. And number five, stay informed. Um, keep yourself informed on the latest news and developments in the market. Follow industry publications, attend conferences, and stay connected with other real estate investors. Um, let's see, Jorge's saying, love your take on neighborhood development. I'm with you on that. I'm all about it, man. And, uh, you know, obviously, we do these lives here on YouTube. We've got the podcast uh, the Commercial Real Estate Investor on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I've got a whole bunch of videos out there for you guys to, to kind of stay tuned on the market, um, as well as our blog. So plenty of resources here for you guys to um, stay on top of the market. Anytime you have questions, feel free to reach out. Otherwise, I'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast, brought to you by Hamilton. 
your resource for passive real estate investment opportunities. Visit www.investwithhamilton.com to start building your passive real estate portfolio today.